Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I am your host, Sean, joined as always by Johnston for a fight week special. Now and again, we love to throw these little special episodes right at you. And what a week to do it on. A welterweight fight that we've been waiting for for some time. Potentially one of the great fights of this era. For us, Johnston, this is like the potential for a Leonard Hearns of our era. And that's what's exciting about it. And what we decided to do was a little special on the welterweights and some of the great welterweight fights in history and we want to mention them we want to briefly talk about them bring them to your attention as listeners if you haven't already heard them I'm sure you've heard pretty much the majority of them on this list and there's probably some that might be considered to be great that we haven't added to this list but the whole point of it really is to celebrate the fact that we're actually getting Errol Spence and Terence Crawford this weekend we're finally getting it and even if you're listening to this and the fight's already happened and we know the result and the aftermath of it it's still a great episode to really go back and highlight all of these great welterweight fights in history it is and we love our history we love going back in 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 all different decades and eras and discussing fights and in all different sorts of weights but obviously the world weight has always been one of the glamour divisions in boxing world weights heavyweights middleweights world weights is always up there it's always one of our favorite go-tos and and there's been many terrific fighters that have fought at this weight category so it's inevitable that we've got a big fight coming up and it, you just automatically do jump to the history and i suppose the one that keeps getting mentioned is sugar ray leonard and tommy hearns of that era and how long it's been since we've had a fight in the world weight division with two of the best going at it it's been a long time and i suppose that's what we're going to do is highlight the fact that it has been a while and the last ones and the ones way before it that have happened since and yeah so it's just a little bit of a brief description of some of these big massive fights and significant moments in the world weight division but all of it is to tie with Crawford and Spence and at the end of it we'll just say you know Obviously, we don't know the outcome and how the fight's going to go. But in terms of his anticipation, just where does Crawford Spence fit among all the great welterweight fights that have happened in previous years? So we've got no particular order in how we're going to do it. We're just going to go through different segments, are we? And just 
talk about exactly. different different moments and, and things that have happened in the sport. And you know, what we also like to do with these shows is, is just throw a different element into it. So not just talk specifically about fights, but also talk about upsets and, and things that have happened where, you know, you've, you've been waiting for a welterweight fight and it just hasn't turned out the way you've anticipated to be. Maybe it was a, a one-sided affair on paper and then it's turned out to be something completely different. And there are a couple, actually, that we wanted to mention. And one of them we've actually done as a legendary night, which is Lloyd Hunnigan, when he upset Donald Curry on the sept- on September the 27th, 1986, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on Showtime when the undisputed champion retired in his corner after the sixth round. Now, as I said, we have done a Legendary Nights episode on this, so please do go back and listen to that, because we do tell the story in its entirety. And, of course, how much of an underdog Lloyd Hunnigan was, that they wasn't even putting a betting line on the guy, because nobody thought this guy was going to go over to America and do what he did. It is also regarded as one of the greatest upsets in boxing of all time, so you can't not start with something like this. You've got these great fights. You've got these great welterweight fighters of an era. But you've got this particular fight where maybe it's not necessarily two of the greatest welterweights of all time, but it's certainly two welterweights in their own right that caused ruptions in the boxing world for different reasons. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Donald Curry at the time, we mentioned it in our Legendary Night show, is he was an absolute star. I mean, he was potentially in line with the likes of Mayweather of that time in, in sort of the mid-80s. He was demolishing everybody. He was an absolute star, Donald Curry. And for Lloyd Hunnigan, who was an average fighter, or people considered him to be an average fighter, proved, you know, on your night, you can produce the goods and you can beat the very best. And he was the undisputed champion at the time. I suppose that's why we're highlighting this, because this is, for again, Crawford Spence for the undisputed. Okay, obviously not for... Like, uh, four titles on the line as it is now, but still uh, an incredible achievement by Lloyd Hunnigan. And the other big upset that we wanted to highlight was Fritzy Zivic. Okay, we're going back here, but October the 4th, 1940 in Madison Square Garden in New York. And he took on the legendary Emory Armstrong and he beat him over 15 rounds. So that's just two big upsets we wanted to just bring to your attention. So Zivic beating Emory Armstrong. And Emory Armstrong was a legend. I mean, we're He's fantastic. Can't wait to do a career profile on this guy. And when we eventually do one. But yeah, two upsets there to kickstart the greatest welterweight fights and biggest moments of this division. Absolutely. And we can't not mention a certain fighter in this particular division. No, we're not talking about Floyd Mayweather. We're actually talking about the original pound-for-pound star, Sugar Ray Robinson, finally becoming the welterweight champion of the world. And now that's, I think that's a fact that some people don't actually realise. He actually waited five years for his shot at the welterweight title. He finally got his chance when the title was vacated by Marty Servo and Tommy Bell agreed to fight him in a rematch in December of 1946. Robinson, of course, went on to outpoint Bell and take that belt. But it's the significance of him winning the belt after basically being shoved away and told you're not getting this title shot you're gonna to have to wait so long for this title shot we we talk about ray robinson in all his glory and everything he brought to the sport and the glitz and the glamour of him but i don't think people always point out the fact that he took him a long time before he got that world title it was i think it was his 76th or 75th fight it varies isn't it depending on what a source you go to but you know over 75 fights or 75 whatever it was 
and, it, and that was when he finally got his chance. I mean, he only ever lost one. <laughs> that was to the great Jake Lamar. I say great. I mean, he was nowhere near the level of Sugar Ray Robinson. But, I mean, we rightly have pointed out, we've, we've said it before and highlighted it on several shows. You've got to talk about a well-weight division. You've got to talk about the greatest well-weight of all time, which is Sugar Ray Robinson. But I tell you what, there will be a running, you know, if for those that, when you think of, when I think of well-weights, I think of the Sugars. I think of Leonard and I think of Robinson. And although Ray Robinson was superb in this division, footage was limited. So you don't really get to see him at, at his absolute best in full-length feature fights, where, as much as you do when when he becomes a middleweight. But this guy was magnificent, wasn't he, Sean? I mean, we've done a career profile. Go and check it out, guys. We've done a really good uh, episode on him there and went into some fantastic stuff, and this included um, this fight in particular with Tommy Bell and how long it took him. But, yeah, um, I'll, I'll jump straight on to the next segment before we, we finish. We start moving into sort of like the big, big worldwide fights. I mean, these are all big from now. But just looking at the uh, the greatest rivalries, we've just we got we put a selection of three together for the uh, greatest rivalries, um, and yeah, there is one uh, that we <laughs> that's a legendary night. It's no, it's by no means meant for those that are listening. It's just we've done so many now, to be fair. Um, so one of the first greatest rivalries, Barney Ross and Jimmy McLaren, um, and they had a fantastic rivalry. Their first fight back in May 1934, believe it or not, stands out because it took place in front of 60,000 fans at Madison Square Garden Bowl. Um, and it was a fight won by Ross via a split decision, a result which was then overturned by McLaren in a rematch four months later. But a terrific rivalry between these two. Uh, and and if you, you know, the footage, again, you ain't going to get much footage. But if you love a little read on how some of these fights went, etc., then, um, yeah, go and have a look at them. So we've got the other one on the list that we mentioned before we get to the one that we've done for Legendary Nights. So this is one we actually have covered before, to be fair, when we've done some of our patron-only stuff with the uh, Boxing Through the Decades episode that we've run. And Ted Kid Lewis and Jack Britton, well, if anybody's got a rivalry in history, it's these two guys. They fought each other 20 times in 12 different cities over a period of five years during the 1920s. Now, the final score of their travelling roadshow Britain four wins to Lewis's three with one draw and 12, yes, 12 no decisions. So the final one on this list is the one we said we did for Legendary Nights, which was Emil Griffith and Benny Kid Perrette. Well, they delivered a magnificent trilogy that, of course, ended in tragedy. The first meeting at Miami Beach's convention center in April of 1961 was an even fight for the first but welterweight champion Perrette lost his title to Griffith when he was stopped in the 13th round. They rematched five months later in Madison Square Garden when the bad blood between the pair came to a boil at the weigh-in when Perrette called Griffith a maricon, which again, we've said this before, is the Spanish for the word homosexual, or more so the slang faggot was used in, in this particular incident. Now, Perrette would win a hard-fought split decision, setting up their third fight. Now, we won't go into their third encounter. Do check it out on the Legendary Nights episode. But in short, Griffith knocked out Perrette in the 12th round, and then 10 days later, Perrette would succumb to the injuries suffered in the ring and die. Yeah, um, a, a terrific episode. And look, it is sad, absolutely sad. But there is... Just you, you can't hide the fact that it was a good fight. It was. It's just how it ended and how absolutely 
just disgusting it was when you watch it. Literally, at times, I, I can't actually... amount of times we have watched it when we've done that episode, I don't think I can actually watch it again. It really is terrible. And, and it's significant for the Worldweight division because it was a huge turning point in terms of television and how much it sort of turned people away from watching it. You know, you used to have the females going to fights with taking your missus to go and watch a fight and, and in the end that didn't happen because uh, they wanted to see savage, someone savagely get beaten to death in the ring. So, um, yeah, a significant poignant moment in the Worldweight division that we felt we had to highlight. But we'll jump on now, Sean, to the, the sort of the 10 greatest Worldweight files that we've chosen. Um, look, by all means, guys, I'm sure there's probably a few in there that we've met, not mentioned. But I, I don't think there's going to be anyone that's going to uh, even attempt to throw a better fight than sort of the top five that are in this category. So, um, yeah, well, and they're not in no order either, Sean, either, are they? So they're just absolutely random. And at the end of it, as a, as we said, we'll compare it to what this great worldweight fight we've got coming up in the weekend. So the first one on the list is Sugar Ray Robinson and Kid Gavilan. Now, at the time of their fight, it was 28 years old and 23 year old, respectively. And they actually met for a second time on July the 11th, 1949. Now, Gavilan was a welterweight great that was never stopped in 143 fights despite going up against the best welterweight division of the 1940s and 50s and what that had to offer. And he was only dropped in three fights and got up to win two of those. 30,000 fans turned up at Philadelphia's Municipal Stadium to see Robinson defend his welterweight title. This time, Robinson survived a cut and some close early rounds to eventually outpoint the Cuban Hawk after 15 rounds. Again, we've covered this in Sugar Ray Robinson's career profile, but you can't not start this list of great welterweight fights without having Sugar Ray Robinson in there. And of course, Sugar Ray Robinson kid Gavilan is certainly one that I do believe should be spoken about more often than not. Yes, and uh, Kid Gavilan as well is a guy uh, he wasn't necessarily, he wasn't the creator of the bolo punch, but he adapted the bolo punch to the style it became that probably Sugar Ray Leonard used. I think it was uh, Garcia, the middleweight Garcia, that actually created it. But yeah, Gavlan um, adapted it into his own sort of style, incorporated into his own style, and a tremendous fire, uh, really good fire. And even Sugar Ray Robinson, I remember us doing that career profile, and I remember him saying, Around four rounds in, he was like, he didn't want to engage with him because Kid Gavilan was dangerous. We're absolutely dangerous. But yeah, Robinson has to, you, there's going to be a lot of sugars in this, guys. And uh, this just, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. I mean, the well-weight division is full of sugars. Um, so we're going to move on. Uh, Manny Pacquiao, he was actually 31 and 2 at the time, 26 KOs. He was 30 years old. He had the IBO and the ring light welterweight titles he was the champion and he was the number one ring pound for pound rank fighter again you know look at spence crawford both one or two however you want to put it and he was also a sixth division world champion and he came up against miguel coto a uh, puerto rican 34 and 1 27 ko's 29 years old he had the wbo worldweight title and the ring number seven rank pound for pound fire and he was a two division champion that fight happened on November the 14th, 2009. It was sanctioned as a world title fight in the welterweight division, where obviously the weight limit is 147 pounds. However, Miguel Cotto's camp agreed to fight at the catch weight of 145 pounds 
to accommodate Pacquiao's much smaller physique, which is quite funny, considering that Cotto and Pacquiao went back and forth in the early stages. Pretty much Pacquiao had this fight one after about four rounds, to my, if I remember rightly. Um, and it took place at the MGM ground in Las Vegas. And Pacquiao's speed and just ex his explosiveness, which we've we've mentioned quite recently, Sean, you have especially, well, it enabled him to stop Miguel Cotto just two minutes left on the clock of that final 12th round. And I remember it well. Yeah, I remember it well as well. It was a really good fight, actually. It was really competitive. I know Pacquiao was, was dominating throughout, but it was competitive because Cotto made it competitive. And I think without them two guys getting in the ring, it wouldn't have enabled... Obviously, Manny Pacquiao then to, to move up forward and, and start to become, you know, an even greater fighter and start to fight even greater fights throughout the course of his career. And this is a good one to have on that list. Like, some people might not necessarily agree, like, we could have replaced this with another one. But I think this is just our sort of perception and our prerogative of, of great welterweight fights over the past sort of 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And then some of the ones that we've already covered in some of our shows in history as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it deserves to be on the list for, for that particular reason. Well, I'm going to move on to the next one. And this actually includes, what did you say, Johnson? A lot of sugars. And this is another sugar. This is actually Sugar Shane Mosley. 32 and 1, 26 KOs, 28 years of age and was the ring number five ranked pound-for-pound pound fighter and former lightweight world champion. He took on Oscar De La Hoya, 32 and 1, 26 KOs, and 27 years old at the time, and he was a WBC and IBA welterweight champion, the ring number four ranked pound-for-pound pound fighter, and a four-division world champion. It happened on June the 17th, 2000. Now, the former Team USA training partners, Mosley and De La Hoya, met as pros in the welterweight division, and Mosley was fighting for the third time at 147, and he came away with the WBC title by split decision. The former lightweight champion was just too quick for De La Hoya that night at the Staples Center, taking seven rounds on one of the scorecards and five of the last six on the other. And it was interesting because it actually did lead into the second fight between the two of them as well, if you remember rightly. There was uh, not just the one fight with these two, there was actually two, and they were absolutely great when they got in the ring together these guys i really enjoyed their fights and i think people need to go back and look at some of these particular fights because they were absolutely fantastic between the two of them they were they were and uh sugar sugar i'd better say sugar ray but sugar shane um you know moving up yeah i only had a couple of fights at well wait but to move up and fight Deli it was obviously coming off the back of that trinidad defeat as well and um, and I thought he fought well. I thought he deserved to take it. Um, I can't. I remember us. Uh, it was a bit of controversy. Was it the second fight? I think it might have been. But um, yeah, look, he was. It, I think he deserved it. To be fair, and and Sugar was quick. He was sharp. It was a great fight to watch back in the day. It really was a lot. You always think of obviously Delaroy and Trinidad and guys like that, and and obviously Mayweather. But um, Mosley was a, a great fight. People, I think people just forget about him a little bit. To be honest with you. But yeah, um, a great addition to the list. And I, I think uh, in terms of a game with it, you've got a champion moving up and you've got a champion at the weight. It was inevitable that, you know, there was a lot of intrigue on it and, uh, and it was a lot of anticipation. So yeah, another fight. But we're going to jump back in time again. And once again, another sugar. This is turning very sweet, isn't it? <laughs> it, is a, it is a rematch. Um, a very famous rematch between Sugar Ray Leonard, 27 and 1. He's only one defeat, obviously, we know that came against. He was 29 years old. He was the former welterweight champion. This is the first defeat for Sugar Ray. Now, this is his rematch. Um, the former welterweight champion against Roberto Durant, of course, 72-1. and 
56 KOs as well in 73 fights. Incredible. And uh, he was uh, the WBC and the ring welterweight champion and the two-division world champion at the time. It happened on November the 25th, 1980. And, of course, it's the famous Nomas fight. Although Duran never quite said those famous words. It was something else he said. But Leonard and Duran, well, they locked horns again. Obviously, Duran came in well overweight. Well, he did he come in on weight, but he struggled to make the weight. Five months after their first fight, because he'd been boozing and whatever else he was getting up to. And this time, Leonard was just masterful in his performance. And he frustrated Duran. He frustrated him so much that he said enough was enough. And he gave up on the eighth round, which is just... I mean, if you're going to think of a famous moment in welterweight history, I think that's one of them, isn't it, Sean? It is definitely one of them. It's one of the most, not so much famous, but more infamous. Infamous because Absolutely. of what of what of what happened in that. It was it was crazy, really, and and the sort of it just left a bit of a skid mark on Duran's career, didn't it? Like, well, you still look at what he does afterwards, and we've had this conversation before about about Duran and what he does after this, but he does leave that little bit of a stain, skid mark on his legacy because of this particular moment where he just. Basically turns his back and says, I've, I've had enough, man. You know, I'm done. I'll say it, I'm done. Sugar Ray was just absolutely dancing rings around him. Punch perfect. Accuracy and timing was absolutely on point for that fight. And it's why Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, he needed that kick up the arse, I think, at that point of his career. Not because he was flagging, but it's like that kick up the arse he got from losing the first fight to Duran. It just made him go on to be even greater, even though he retired, what, two, three times and then came back and fought Hagler, as we've covered in our Legendary Knights series, of course, and, and his career profile. It's madness, really, to think, like, the original fight, the brawl in Montreal, sort of set so much off between <laughs> these two and, 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 and this welterweight division was just so sparkling. So next one, we're going back in a little bit longer again. Uh, two welterweights, Carmen Basilio and Tony DeMarco met in two historic battles. Now, both of them were in 1955 and they both deserve spots on this list as one of the greatest 144-pounders in fighting history. Now, Basilo won the first belt and the welterweight belt in a 12th-round technical knockout. The second was in 1955 as well and it was the fight of the year for 1955 by the Ring Magazine. Uh, Basilio was 28. DeMarco was 23. It happened on November the 30th, 1955, as I've said. Uh, and it, their rematch is considered as one of the greatest fights Boston had ever hosted as well. Fighting in front of a raunchous crowd in the Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. DeMarco, the former worldweight champion, was looking to avenge his loss to Carmen Basilio and regain that title he lost to him several months earlier. Um, as evidenced in that first fight, the two were evenly matched sluggers and anticipation ran high for this rematch and fans expected something sim similar. And DeMarco, he dominated the fight from the opening bell. He was cut in round two. The same round that Basile broke his left hand. DeMarco kept coming, appeared to be on the brink of victory in the seventh when he staggered Basile with a left hook. But Basilio managed to keep his feet despite staggering around the ring. And then he came back to gain the upper hand. And then in the 12th round of the series, a devastating combinations that put DeMarco down twice to end this classic at 1 minute and 54 seconds of that 12th round. Only two seconds longer than it had taken Basilo to win the first fight. A great double act. Two fights in the welterweight division that are quite simply stunning. Um, would, be, would, would get so much 
love and uh, it'd be posted all over social media basically a fight like this if it happened today I smell a legendary night coming our way Jack. I what do you think about this <laughs> absolutely mate I think we've just highlighted it we? <laughs> yeah I'm smelling a legendary night episode guys here I think this possibly could be for our next season of legendary yeah, nights the the, uh, the, uh, the onion onion grinder I think he was when he's a onion grinder I'm sure that's what his nickname was uh, Basilio so yeah definitely well, I'll move on then to the next one. Oscar De La Hoya comes up yet again. 26 years old, 31 and 0, 25 KOs at this point. WBC welterweight champion, ring pound for pound number one fighter and four division champion. And then, of course, a fight we alluded to a little bit earlier. Felix Trinidad, 26 years old, 35 and 0 at the time that these two fought each other. 30 KOs, he was the IBF welterweight champion and the ring pound for pound number four ranked fighter. September the 18th, 1999, fight of the millennium. Of course, it's a legendary night. We have done this. It was a tremendous build-up for this particular fight going in to the end of 1999. Of course, with all the drama that was surrounding the new millennium, all the changes, what the future was going to hold for people. This was the fight for boxing fans that they were all looking forward to. And of course, it was a controversial fight and one that we really did go through in a great, great lot of detail in that Legendary Nights episode because you have to go back and watch this fight to really understand who won it. And, and, and there's still debate about fights like this today. I think for us, Oscar De La Hoya, it was his fight to lose. He fought tremendously for the majority of the fight. And I think because he believed he dominated the opening rounds of the fight and he just started to lay off the gas and his corner even told him to lay off the gas. And Trinidad just took advantage of that. And he effectively gave the fight to the Puerto Rican Trinidad, who ended up taking the majority decision. And for us as well, it's, it's the last of the so-called super fights of the shred 20th century before we hit the year 2000. And it's one that I do look back on with, with fondness. Uh, and, and also even today, like so many years later, like 23, 24 years down the line, I still sort of think about the result and the outcome and the controversy it caused. And, I also don't think, I said this in the episode, I remember rightly, I don't think De La Hoya was entirely, entirely the same after this fight. I'm with you. I, mean, we, I think we said that and, yeah, what was he thinking? I mean, we had him winning the fight, even with those rounds off, but we spoke about it recently with a couple of our fighters, with Maxi Hughes, for instance, just backing off towards the end, that last round. McGregor done the same thing where they just didn't really do it. They they thought they had the fight ones one in their head and they took that 12th round off. This one was even worse because Deloitte took about three rounds off there. He just sort of run um, when he, he didn't need to. He could have just, he was he boxed so well for about nine nine rounds. And yeah, it was just a strange one. And he's, I think that's something that always haunt him. He even said it when we done our legendary night show. The amount of times he was like, it's something he just never get out of his head ever again. So yeah, sad one really for, for him, but a tremendous fight for Trinidad in the end. And it was so much uproar. Do you remember um, Bob Arum at all? He was, it was, it was that that judge. I can't remember his name now, but one of the judges was uh, he, he, uh, basically Bob uh, Arum. He 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 was insula insulating that he was being bribed um, to, to to make sure. He, or how could he see he was blind? He's, he's definitely saying there's something dodgy going on. But you know, Bob Arum of all people, Jesus. I mean, he, he's as dodgy as they come, but. Yeah, it was it was it was very controversial, very, and I still think Oscar won that fight. But just going to jump onto the next one quickly, and it's one of the greatest welterweights in this the welterweight fighters ever. Uh, when I think of the welterweights, 
Penel Sweet Pea Whitaker. I mean, what a tremendous fighter he's done a career profile on him as well. When he was 29 years old, he faced the dangerous Mexican, the undefeated Mexican, who was 87 0, who was 75 KOs, and that was Julio Cesar Chavez. And uh, yeah, 31 years old, and well, it was just, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this fight. September 10, 1993, San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, well, Chavez Whitaker took place about 60,000 fans as well in that, in that stadium. And we're talking about controversial. Oscar, for me, beat Trinidad. Well, if you want a controversial fight to look at from the world weight division, this is your go-to. Uh, Chavez is unbeaten record. Ended up remaining intact thanks to a draw. Many felt Whitaker outboxed the Mexican, including ourselves. He didn't just outbox him. I mean, he absolutely just dominated him in every sense. He didn't take no rounds. I mean, he didn't run around a lot, run away like Oscar Oscar did in the last few rounds. He dominated Chavez. And I think Chavez has come on, I think the last round or two where he, he hit him clean. But other than that, it is just, the. I think if we're going to talk about robbery, Sean, I think this is the biggest robbery in world weight history. <laughs> I was going to say, it's the biggest highway robbery, you know, like, it is ridiculous, isn't it? Like Absolutely the, terrible. It is one of the most terrible ones. It is one of the most terrible ones. I, I think looking back on this one again, it is, uh, it's one of those ones that you look back on it and think, bloody hell, you know, like, this this is one that really, this is where Pinnell should have been getting his crowning glory at this point, and he was just absolutely robbed of that. I, again, I don't think he was ever the same after this. I, I genuinely don't. I think when a fighter gets into... A situation, one of the biggest fights of the career, if not the biggest, and then they absolutely throw their heart and soul into that fight, and it's obvious and clear as day to everybody else watching it that that fighter wins the fight, but the judges go a completely different way, or they score it a draw, like in this instance. I honestly think it takes a piece of a fighter's soul. I really do. I think it takes a piece of them because you think about the sacrifices they make to put themselves through training camp and the time they spend away from the families and everything that's involved in in going into the biggest fight of your life and then that happens i mean jack catterall recently will be one to watch out for now to see where his career goes because he put everything into the josh taylor fight and yep. literally there's been nothing significant for him since whereas obviously josh taylor has had you know his fight with tfima lopez this year in america and he didn't win that fight so you know, I, I don't know if catterall will ever get that opportunity or that chance to, to be a complete superstar. Fortunately for Pinnell, he was already a superstar at this point. He'd already earned his accolades at this point as well. The, the difference was, I just don't think he was completely the same. And with issues outside of the ring plaguing him a little bit as well, it certainly started to take a little bit of a downfall from here. But it has to be mentioned in in these episodes because, yeah, it's part of the welterweight division. It's significantly in the division as well. It's a significant fight for, for, for better or for worse. It has to be there. So, that is one of the other ones on the list. And of course, we got to go back and run it back to Duran and Leonard. And I mentioned a little bit earlier about Duran and Leonard. And obviously, you know, they're, they're brawling Montreal in their first fight. And, you know, how that gives Sugar Ray the kick up the ass he needed. Well, it was because Duran got under his skin. Duran, at that point, going into that fight was just phenomenal. And he was just able to be one step ahead of Ray Leonard getting under his skin before the fight, getting in his face, just doing things that Sugar Ray Leonard really weren't used to in the lead up to it. And, you know, even Sugar Ray says many, many times in interviews years after this that, you know, Duran got under my skin. He got under my skin. He took me out of my 
stride he took me out of my game plan and he wasn't able to match him for the ferocity in the ring that night and as a result Roberto Duran won the fight and the rest is history really between these two because of course they go on to have two more fights we've covered the Nomas fight and then they have a third fight later on in the 80s but this is a significant fight at the start of the 1980s because of, of what it what it meant really at the time like Duran coming up from lightweight arguably one of the great, greatest lightweights of all time if not the greatest and comes up to this division and beat Sugar Ray yeah and, and is is an incredible fight it really was and you could you know the one thing with Sugar Ray Leonard was a lot of people saying even though he's 24 years of age you know he was had a fantastic amateur pedigree Olympic gold medalist you know the, the guy had a fantastic contract he was given shitloads of money from the after we, we done comparisons with the amount of money he was earning compared to Hagler for instance it was it was ridiculous how, how the difference really considering what Hagler goes on to do. But, you know, he was the glamour boy. He was the face of boxing. You know, he was the handsome, the fast. He had everything, really, didn't he? He could speak well. He was an absolute star, Sugar Ray Leonard. He really was. Anyone that lived through that era were very fortunate because he was a, a tremendous, tremendous fighter. But, you know, the one thing is, is Duran, one of the greatest. And, uh, oh, you know, what he did was, he, as you say, got under his skin. And Sugar Ray Leonard, the one thing you'll say about him People used to was used used to say that he didn't really have enough. He was all sweet and you know lovely footwork, great great boxer, but you you could get at him and Duran get nasty and and Leonard wouldn't be able to cope with it. But I think what he showed in that fight in the brawl in Montreal was that he could fucking slug it out with someone as well. And I think from that defeat, he actually probably gained more fans from before because it, it just shows you that. Okay, he shouldn't have fought that way because he lost the fight, but he got a lot of respect for that after that one. That that is my honest opinion. But a, a, a great one of the greatest welterweight fights of all time. So look, Sean, I'm going to let you jump on to the next one because it does feature again the sweet Sugar Ray Leonard, and and then there's another one after this, and again it it is it's Leonard. Um, the amount of fights he has in this division is incredible, isn't it, Sean? I think you got to think of. At the start of the episode, when you started talking about it's uh, an episode full of sugar, it certainly is. I mean, think about think about. <laughs> Might we not need to call it that? <laughs> I think you've got to think about what who who's been so significant in the welterweight division over time, and it's been Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard. People will argue, obviously, Floyd Mayweather, and yeah, accolades wise, you cannot knock him for that. But I think it was just the way he was, and and the way. I'm not even going to go into it because it's just a completely different debate, and and. You know, Floyd Mayweather was what he was. And even though none of his fights are in this list, and we haven't covered any of his fights in this list in particular, I think what we're looking to do for you guys listening is present you with the most exciting, the most controversial, the most infamous. Really, when you think back to Mayweather's fights, were there any fights of Mayweather's that you can honestly sit there and say, oh, yeah, this, this is the one for me. He was brilliant in some of them. He was fantastic to watch in some of them, but... There were nothing like the Sugar Ray Robinson. There were nothing like Sugar Ray Renard, even Roberto Duran and Tommy Hearns, which is the, ironically the next fight that we're going to talk about. Leonard and Hearns, the one that we mentioned at the start of the episode, how we compare Leonard and Hearns to this day with Spence and Crawford. And that's how I see it. I see, you know, the boxer and the puncher going at it in this fight between Spence and Crawford. And Leonard Hearns is a fight that I really enjoy looking back on because. Sugar Ray Leonard at that moment in time, 1981, September the 16th, that fight took place. He'd bounced back from that 
lost to Duran and beat Duran emphatically late in 1980. In 1981, then he goes into an absolute war, a war with Tommy Hearns. And I think this fight between the two of them is 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 so good. I, the only other fight that tops it, of course, is, is Hearns and Hagler. But if Hearns and Hagler wouldn't have happened, this would have been the one out of that era of the four kings that you would have said, this was absolutely outstanding. And I think it was outstanding because, again, Sugar Ray Leonard overcame adversity in this particular fight. He adapted in this fight the way he didn't in the first Duran fight. He wasn't able to adapt to Duran and he lost the fight. Whereas in this one, late on in the fight, you know, we, we, we know the infamous words from Angelo Dundee, you're blowing it, son, you're blowing it. And it was that moment that changed the fight and changed the course of boxing history because, looking back on it, Tommy Hearns was onto a winner. He was 22 years old. He was ready for it. Jugger Ray was 25. And the whole fight, if you go through it, Tommy Hearns, he takes good portions of that fight. And it was a huge, huge fight for the time as well. And, you know, we've covered this fight for our Legendary Night show. And we've talked about how this fight was touted a few years before. And and both guys around at the time, both guys that were, were backing them, basically said, no, let's let this fight marinate for another couple of years because it's going to be even bigger in a couple of years. And my word, this was one hell of a fight. It was. Uh, you said Angela Dundee on his fishing trip was like, do not take this fight. I mean, he's talking pettence, wasn't it? The amount of money they were being offered and it's still very early in their careers. But I mean... You got nine minutes, son. You're blowing it. You're blowing it at the nineteenth. Look, if it had been today, twelve rounds, Hearns wins the fight. I don't think there's any doubt in that. And even though Leonard did rock Hearns in around the sixth round, you know Hearns was able to again. He was able to adapt, revert back to that style of his. You know, with that lovely jab and just smashing him race face, basically uh, piling up the points. And and Leonard was in trouble until he got those words from Angelo Dundee. How many times we get that, whether it be someone being slapped around the face, you know, even with Griffin, for Mill Griffin we spoke about, it was uh, Clancy that's just had a word in his ear and told him he needs to fix up, you know, and gives him a slap around the face. He goes out there and does the business. You know, Wilfred Benitez is another one. His dad used to do it. So he needed that inspirational motivation and that's what he got. And it, you know, it comes out in that 13th round and, Staggers Hearns and, and changes, you know, the fight completely. Um, again, you don't really think of Sugar Ray Leonard as a heavy puncher. But you'd, you'd say Hearns was. If anyone was going to knock anyone out, it was going to be Hearns over Leonard. And But Leonard was the guy who found the knockout blows and, and has managed to stop him. And wow, what? You're talking the two best fighters around. In, incredible fighters. Uh, what they then go on to do after is, is incredible. But yeah, you, you talk about two guys and their peaks. Boy, Angelo Dundee was right. Not only with the, you got nine minutes, you're blowing it, but also delaying their first fight and making sure it happened in 81 and not in 78 or whenever it was supposed to be. So I'm just going to jump to the next one. The next one is, again, Sugar Ray Leonard. We've got to mention it. Wilfred Benitez. Ray Leonard is before he fights Hearns. He's 23 years of age. Wilfred Benitez is 21. Leonard, obviously, he's on, his, on, on road to greatness. And Benitez is already... A tremendous fight. Look at what he's done at a teen, as a teenager. We've done a career profile with Benitez. They met at Caesars Palace on November the 30th uh, with the WBC title at stake. And Leonard overcome Benitez in 15 rounds of a fascinating technical battle. Leonard edges that early. And then Benitez, again, you know, these fighters. We talk about Spence and Crawford and who's able to adapt. The one thing you know with 
Sugar Ray Leonard, for instance, and all these big fights he had in the welterweight division, was he was able to adapt. And Benitez was the other side of that, where he was like a mirror image. Leonard felt like he's in control. Benitez adapt, adapted so much so that Leonard had trouble, real bad trouble with him. Benitez was a tremendously great fighter in the pocket. He could, he, like, he could just manoeuvre himself out of there and any punch coming his way and come back with something very quickly. And yes, Leonard got, got the victory. But he even says to this day, Sean, didn't he? That was one of the hardest fights, obviously, barring Hearns. I think Hearns first and then Benitez second for him. Certainly was one of his hardest fights. I think when we go back and recently we released the Wilfred Benitez career profile and, and doing things from a Wilfred Benitez perspective and, and learning more about his life and his career, as well as obviously already knowing about Sugar Ray, it really puts into perspective how good of a fighter Wilfred Benitez really was at this point in time. And also what it took for Sugar Ray to be able to to do what he does. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 like yep. you think you think of greatness in in some of these guys, and and the same names keep popping up. And there's a reason the same names keep popping up as the best welterweights of all time, or have been involved in the best welterweight fights of all time. You think of Sugar Ray Leonard, and he's been involved in quite a few of them, hasn't he? You think what four or five of these fights that we've covered. Sugar Ray Leonard, it's right in there. You've got Sugar Ray Robinson, you've got Roberto Duran in there. You mentioned Carmen Basilio and Tony DiMarco. Uh, you've also got Penel Whitaker, Julio Cesar Chavez, Felix Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya. I mean, these are just the names here. And ironically, like I say, we've not even mentioned, not even mentioned at all Mr. Mayweather, and yet he's definitely in with a shout of being the best welterweight of all time. But yet, in terms of his fights and his is what he what he's done accolade wise and what he had in the ring skill wise was 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 quite unparalleled and he's right up there, but the problem is for us as fans like we can't honestly look back on his career and go, oh well he he had that Wilfred Benitez moment or he had the Hearns moment or he had the De La Hoya moment he didn't he didn't for me didn't really have too many of those moments and he was great but he just didn't have those major major mega fights with the guys that he needed to have at the times he needed to have him. And that was always the problem we've had with him is like, if he would have fought Pacquiao 2010 and beat Pacquiao at that point, we would have been like, oh my God, that's one of the great well awaited fights of all time. Even if it wasn't as all action, the fact that he would have beat him in his absolute peak would have been even more well regarded as what his victory over Pacquiao was in 2015 when they were aging, when they were past the peaks. And I suppose it, it, it makes us caveat nicely into what we spoke about at the start of the episode. We're talking about Errol Spence and Terence Crawford this coming weekend. We've done our fight preview on it in a separate episode. And this is what's inspired this episode. And I suppose it begs the question, doesn't it, Johnston? Like, are these two guys, Spence and Crawford, in their peaks? Are they at a point now where we are going to see the best of them in their upcoming fight? And will they go down in welterweight history? Because when we look at this list and we look at these fighters, it, I find it hard to sort of place those two guys individually with their records and resumes amongst these guys unless their fight is an absolute barnstormer and creates absolutely fantastic moments during it. I, I do struggle to see how placing those two guys in the welterweight division in, in like a top 10 of all time, I struggle to place both of them in there because there's so many other great welterweights of the last hundred years. It's true. Uh, and I think one thing it does is it does put it in 
into perspective a little bit, it makes you realise when you when you just throw out the names and, and and the fights that those names have had, it's so difficult to then even suggest that although how great they are in this current moment, but Spence Jr. and Crawford, they are. I think the intrigue is they are either one and two or one two and three. You know, however you want it, they're they're in and around the top sort of four five pound for pounders. And that's the one we tried to highlight the ones in particular that were the main guys of that era that fought each other. And the intrigue and the anticipation that surrounded all of those fights was huge. Some of them you let let you down and others didn't. And it does tend to always fall into that same category, doesn't it, Sean? Within the four kings, whether it be, I know Hagler obviously doesn't get a medge because he's a middleweight. But, you know, with Duran, with Hearns and Hagler, uh, not Hagler, with Leonard, sorry, Hearns and Duran, they fought each other at welterweight. Obviously, not again, uh, a weight above for Duran and Hearns, but Leonard fought them all, fought them both at, at welterweight. And then he fights other great fighters like him, Wilfred Benitez. It also, it just confirms the moment that, you know, you look here and you think, well, as a welterweight, Leonard was just brilliant, wasn't he? I mean, the fact who he's beaten there, you look at that resume at welterweight compared to a Spencer or Crawford, you're like, yeah, they don't even come close. And it's always like, wow, like, you know, and then even in the 90s and the noughties, you see Oscar Denoy fought who he fought in his way. Trinidad, no, the rematch didn't happen. Uh, Mosley as well. So it's, 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 it's just, it's fascinating because, I mean, look, we didn't mention, we, I mean, you highlighted it there, Sean, Mayweather, Junior, Pacquiao, you know, you could stick it in the list, guys, but what, Mayweather 38, Pacquiao 36, not for me, you know. It was a, it was a welterweight for all the barbels, you know. It was it was a big fight, I suppose. You had five division champion, eight division champion, had everything there. But 38, 36 years of age, and um, they were really they really missed the boat because it should have happened way way before. I think when you think of Errol Spence, Terence Crawford, they've got a two fight deal. I hope their first fight's great. I hope there's no controversy. But the one thing you do see with all these railway fights is full of it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of controversy in this fight and maybe the man that we all think should win doesn't get the nod and then that rematch just gives it more intrigue. I, I can see something like that happen. I hope it doesn't, but I can. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's going to be fascinating and here you are. Look, it's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Unless they have two tremendous fights, then you can put them in there. But where do you put it amongst all that? I mean, I don't even... You can't even... I don't know, maybe five or sort of the fifth or sixth, maybe. But then even then, you know, when you read the descriptions of like a Basilio and a DeMarco and a guy's Eiffel, you sort of think, well, that you won't. Re- I suppose the trouble is, is we won't really know until we see the fight. But in terms of anticipation, I'd have it sort of midway through all them fights. Well, we're going to get to see what happens in that fight. We're very excited for it. We've done a big fight preview for it. Please make sure you tune into it. But if you're just tuning into this episode quite casually, then please go back and listen to some of the episodes we've done on Legendary Nights. We've covered quite a few. We've covered quite a few of these fighters' career profiles. So please make sure you tune into all of them because there's some great information, some great storytelling going on. If I must say so myself, so please make sure you go and tune into that and tune into our current run of career profiles episodes. Wilfred Benitez is actually the first one we've done for this round of career profiles so please go back and listen to his career profile and some of the others that are now released and are yet to be released 
But that is it for this particular episode. Our fight week special on the welterweights, the great welterweight rivalries, the great welterweight fights. We've covered as many as we believe are possible to be covered in this particular episode. And if you've enjoyed it, let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter or BTR Boxing Podcast Network on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. A big shout out has to go to the patrons of this podcast for supporting us so much throughout the course of the last few years. Your support means the world to us and allows us to be able to continue and get greater research for these career profiles, legendary nights and darker side of boxing episodes. But that is it. Thank you so much for listening to this Fight Week special. Podcast Network.